I had a bit of an epiphany about coaching in a sales environment this morning. So let me explain. Most of the time when I get, uh, when people reach out to me about coaching and in sales or business development, it's usually as a response to a need that they have in the business. So it might mean that they want to improve sales or that their sales team has become a little bit flat or they have new people coming into the business. Um, it could be a mixture of a whole lot of things. It could be a challenging competitor. It could be whatever reason they, <clears throat> a business owner or a manager or a sales lead will bring me in to do some sales coaching. Their expectation is that the sales coaching will happen fairly quickly. There are some clients that I have where the coaching is ongoing, um, but in the main, coaching is done like a defibrillator, or as I would say, a set of jump leads, where you're trying to apply a little bit of inspiration to a team that is just needs a few tweaks here and there. That language is used a lot. I think that the boys just need a, a, a few few tweaks, or the team needs a few tweaks, or she just needs um, to reapply herself in a certain way. and. I've been brought in a lot of the time based on the idea that they have thoroughly diagnosed what the problem is in the first place. So it may be a whole bunch of reasons. It may be a combination of reasons that the team is flat or underperforming. Um, <clears throat> so you have this idea that the business owner is thinking about getting something done fairly quickly. They would be, there wouldn't be a particular standard response time, but typically the idea would be that the training would be over a condensed training over a short period of time and we'll see how we get on after that, say three months or six months or whatever, which is okay. The person you're coaching has an immediate resistance to being told that what they're doing could be improved. Uh, I say that from experience. I would have been the easiest to coach back in the day. And most people that we would speak to would tend to say um, anything you suggest or anything that you talk about or any systems or processes, they're already doing that. And, and so you have resistance um, at the coalface and in a, from a manager's or from a business owner's perspective, you have perhaps, and I say perhaps, unreasonable requests for when and how efficiently this work can be done. And you go back to something I mentioned a few weeks ago, if you remember... You, the, um, you can pick only two, so fast and good and cheap, but you can pick only two. So if you want it good and fast, it's not going to be cheap. If you want it good and cheap, it's not going to be fast. And if you want it fast and cheap, it's definitely not going to be good. And you certainly aren't going to get all three at the one go. And so one of the things that, that, um, that made me think about this this morning was reading the book. And one of the lines in the book is, um, the book is about, it's called Coaching Habit, okay? And it says that um, a bit of research from Duke University in the States says that at least 45% of our waking behavior behavior is habitual, okay? So that doesn't come with an asterisk or pre-qualified or what year. So I went and, and tried a little bit of Google on it. And that research is in um, 2006, okay? So approximately 40 to 45% of the actions we perform each day are not conscious choices, but are actually automatic behaviors or habits. That equates to about six hours a day, okay? So that's a lot of your time where you're um, automated. 
And I remember doing a session with a client that I referenced a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to give them any more PR. Um, and I was coaching a guy, and, I, and I'd used the example of driving your test, drive, your driving test, sorry, and driving the car. And <clears throat> it was my view that once you had passed your test and you went into the or or the restricted period, you eventually become, uh, over that period, you become a worse and worse driver. Your driving skills deteriorate. Uh, to the point where you may not even be mirror signaling and maneuvering right now. To ask yourself the question, even as you listen to this, are you committed to mirror signaling, maneuvering as you drive? And I suspect the answer is no. And again, I'm speaking from a personal perspective there. As somebody who has uh, um, enjoyed the zealous oversight of the traffic police recently. So... um, one of the things that you've got to remember in your driving test is that you've got these very sterile conditions that you're driving at a very restricted um, period speed. You're driving at a time when traffic is fairly calm and as natural as possible. You've got a guy or a lady sitting beside you on the left-hand side telling you what to do and watching your every move and having an automatic clutch and all sorts of stuff going on. And once you pass your test... They suggest that you don't drive the car immediately because you're in a heightened state of euphoria and you're very anxious and excited because you've passed your test. But after that, maybe not in the first year, the second year, the third year, but after five or six years of driving, you, you soon become, um, you're giving your keys to your subconscious. Now this has taken me into a whole parish that I, I, I'm, I'm just going to, um, I'll talk about in a second. But your sub- subconscious or your unconscious is, is that kind of six hours a day where these automatic behaviours are habits. So you get into a habit of driving badly, you'll drive badly. You don't drive at the speed limit. You don't drive with the uh, over sort of responsive juke to the mirror and the wing mirror just to prove to the instructor that you're, you're, you're doing exactly what you should be. Um, <clears throat> so you've got somebody in a coaching environment and in a sales team where you're trying to get them to, first of all, recognize that they have a problem. And um, that's not easy. So every mechanism and, and every single sinew of their body will defend their low sales figures. There'll be a reason for the low sales figures. You know, there'll be, um, uh, you know, the economy, the competition, the product's not good enough, the service is not good enough, the tech team let you down. Um, distribution is not great. There's the COVID, you know, and then there's COVID again, and there's COVID again, and then there's that, you know, the Suez Canal blockage and all that sort of stuff. And you have these um, well-rehearsed reasons to defend against the idea that the salesperson would want to put their hand up and say, "Look, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not operating on anywhere close to optimum here. I got a problem." And so you're into a whole area of trying to reprogram set behaviors that have been in place and in play for 10, 20, 5, 10, 1, 2, 5, 10, 20, 30 years, whatever, okay? This is all running in tandem with the sales lead or the business owner every week saying, well, how are you getting on? 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 Because their expectation is that it's going to take a bit of time, but things have started well and this project could be, you know, this team could be back on track again very quickly. And it doesn't really happen like that. 
you know, the resistance and the reactance that is created around challenging somebody that, you know, are you going to take responsibility for a little bit? Are you going to be accountable for a little bit of your lack of success? And it takes a long time for them to eventually admit, yeah, okay, there are things I could do better. And then once you identify those things, you know, how can you do better? And what you'll, you'll be really into then at that stage is that once you leave, the, their ability to fall back into their habits and their routine is by far and away much stronger than any good work that you might have coached with them. And so there's some stuff that has been uh, talked about by, you know, a quick shout out to anybody who's bought a self-help book that pretty much all tries to reframe the one story about how you can reprogram yourself. And Joe, Dr. Joe Dispenza comes out with it and Bruce Lipton comes out with it and, 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 and everybody's talking about, you know, you can retrain yourself, you can reprogram yourself. And we've all tried it, I'm sure. I've, t- I've tried it and I had a conversation with a clinical uh, um, or a psychoanalytical psychotherapist who was saying, catch yourself on. Yeah, of course you can do that. Um, but do you know how to do it? And do you know how long it's going to take to do it? So even if you were to try and reprogram yourself, it's not just as simple as playing a podcast late at night and hoping you wake up in the morning, out of jumping out of bed and straight into work, obviously via the shower. There's a whole lot of things that you need to consider about this and it takes hard work. And I've never really framed it in that way to, to express and explain to people whose energy and enthusiasm for change is almost overwhelming the common sense. It does take a long time. It's like, you know, managing a football team or coaching a football team and you change behaviour over a short space of time. This is why I've posted about um, the current manager at Celtic Football Club, Ange Postacoglu, who has done something in 12 months, 18 months, um, that's really, really uh, hard, hard to figure out how that has happened because he, what he inherited, number one, but also the fact that he has brought in um, a, a disproportionately high number of players relative to any football team, but especially for that particular football club. That's not just what they did. So he changed the, the, the mindset of the owners. Um, it's unlikely they would have said, here, knock yourself out, there's an unlimited budget. He took the budget of selling two players, which amounted to about 29 million, and he spent that money and brought in 11 or nine or 10 in the first year. And they went on to win a championship in a league that's questionable, okay, but you try and do that anywhere. And as a fan, see what the expectation is like and the disappointment of getting an unheard of manager. And he changed the mindset of the, the, the money men in the club, the board of directors, the owners. He then changed the mindset of the players which takes some doing given the uh, challenges that they had the previous year under the previous manager. And he changed the mindset of the fans. And that's just an incredible uh, achievement and performance. And it's a push to continue, continue to push on for, fifth, for 45 minutes of a game last night that I didn't see, incidentally. Um, it, it sounded very much that they had the European champions in the back foot or pinned to their collars for about 45 minutes. That doesn't happen that often, you know. It it's may happen in sport occasionally, but in, in the world of business, that, that's a really, it's a long-term process. And the most effective coaching, I believe, is when you've got a bought-in owner or sales lead 
who understands that there may be challenges ahead beyond the challenges that they had predicted or had discussed with you at the beginning. And normally the questions that they have asked to come up with the answer that they need coach, coaching are fundamentally the wrong questions to ask of the team. You know, it may, mean, it may mean that some of the people just aren't right for the job. It may mean that some of the management isn't right for the team. It may mean that the culture of the business isn't right for the team. It may mean that a little bit of all three and a little bit of something else is, is the root cause. And that's not going to be fully diagnosed and uh, implemented within four months. And if it's a cultural transformation that's needed, then, you know, really what you're saying is this is this is a forever project. Now, that sounds like I'm pitching up as coaching should be in a long-term thing. I think it should be. It doesn't have to be every week. You know, it can be once a month for a couple of years. There are a couple of clients that I've worked with. Um, I like to think fairly effectively over a prolonged period of time. There's some I've worked relatively effectively with over a short period of time. But I think... If you go back to the um, research from Duke University that 45% of the actions we perform each day are not conscious choices we make, but actually automatic behaviors. Not conscious choices. So even if people come into the sales training and the coaching sessions and they're really, really keen to try and change and they get up really, really early and they do all the good stuff that you'd you'd want of any willing participant in a coaching session, they are immediately going to be tackled by their subconscious. Everything that has been hardwired into them since up to the age of seven, they say, but if you think that you've got certain behaviors that have been ingrained to you as a child, and then you go into a grammar school, and then your living culture and the people that you surround yourselves with, and then the work that you've done for the previous 10 years, how is it possible that you can just change that overnight, even if you're really, really willing to do so? And there was a piece of work done by Professor Anne Grebel at MIT who talks about um, habits, rituals and, the, and how to, to reevaluate the brain and how to... Like that's into a whole area that I, have no, I know nothing about. They talk about cue, routine and reward. You know, so <clears throat> it's uh, the signals um, to your brain to take action. The routine is a physical, mental or emotional behaviour that can be simple or complex depending on what you're trying to achieve. And then the reward is that, um, you know, it's trying to break you out of the loop that's in there and this is the reward that you get if you stick to this particular set of new behaviours or one particular behaviour. And you're taking... uh, This is the brain, right? You're taking a computer into a plumbing shop and asking them to fix the leak at the back. Like, it's just not going to happen. And for those people who are reading, you know, the, those self-help books and all that, for that idiot, you know, like, that's that's the long road out. And you'll find one, and you stick to it, and you work really hard, and maybe you'll achieve something. And that's great, and we hope you will do. Um, reprogramming in any capacity is really, really, really difficult. Um, you know, habits are formed over a long period of time. And in sales, you have... We're all trying to create this sort of magical or utopian process that will work regardless of who's behind the wheel and that's probably maybe not our fault but that's um, what we want to do is create repeatable processes we want stuff that can be be scaled up that can be repeatable that can be done easily that is that is uh, applicable regardless of the human resource behind it and that's not speaking derogatory about people Bottom line is there are different levels of competency, different levels of character and resilience, 
at play. So you're not going to get 10 people coming at the start of the year and expect to have the same 10 there the next year. But the business will go on regardless. The sales team will have the same target regardless. And so to make the job easier for everybody is to try and find a, re a relatively seamless process that works repeatedly and is profitable and so on and so forth. So the idea that um, it's about managing expectations really and it's, it's about not um, being really too hard. First of all, it's about managing expectations. I just go through these things one at a time. And managing the expectation is change will happen, but change will happen over a long period. And sometimes the change that is really needed is the change that you're trying to avoid. Be that from the management perspective or be that from the mentee, be that from the person that's being coached, be that be that from the person that's being trained, the one that's reluctant to admit to themselves, I'm not really any good at this or I don't like this job. And you kind of owe it to yourself if you don't like it to leave and find something that you do like. And I don't mind saying that to the people I'm coaching, but I certainly don't um, expect the people in management to enjoy hearing that. But they should. They should be able to compassionately remove people from the operation so that they can find something better to spend their time on. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's a challenge for people and it's a challenge that people should embrace. So managing expectations is the one thing. The other thing, or the next thing, would be to consider the time period. And yeah, this is a kind of a sales pitch for coaching. Coaching should be part of your work all the time. It should be ongoing. It's, not, it's Kaizen, continual improvement, whatever you want to call it. It's in the self-help books as well. You'll find it writ large. Um, you know, you, there's books on it. You, it's all there, but it's the idea that you want to continually improve um, that's hard. That isn't for everybody. You know, that's why there's the... I sometimes wonder whether it's probably m more comforting to be one of those clock-in, clock-out, nine-to-five uh, fish and chips on a Friday, Bundoran stroke port rush for the two weeks in, in the summertime and rinse and repeat until you cash in your chips. That's all right for people. But if you're really committed to improvement, if you're not just committed to the improvement when the market tells you that you're not improving or your accountant tells you you're definitely not improving or you've lost a couple of people or you feel uninspired yourself and you come in one day as a business leader and go, right, things are going to change. That's all well and good. But again, go back to point number one, manage your expectations. Coaching is definitely, definitely a long play if you're really trying to reframe and reprogram bad habits that you've gotten yourself into as a business that the market has forced you into or that your people are stuck into. You really have to consider that. The idea also that you're diagnosing the right problem, be prepared to find out that what you're, the problem that you're trying to solve is not the problem that you need to solve. You know, if you, if you go to the doctor many times and you find out that you've got a, uh, pain in your back and the doctor will say oh yeah, that's your ankle and you go what are you talking about and the doctor says well you're walking funny and you've got to change your posture and all that sort of stuff but all the while you thought it was your back was giving you the problem whereas the real area of the problem is how you're walking that's a really poor example but I think you get the point um, so yeah it's, it's, it's really worth thinking about you know the uh, social media has really tried to frivolize and trivialize the, the importance of improvement the importance of coaching and the ease with which things can change. It it's all looks so easy when you're watching a, a Gary Vaynerchuk or <clears throat> Dr. Joe or any of these people 
given you a little 30 seconds boost of wisdom on um, on Instagram or TikTok. The bottom line and the rule is that it's all about hard work and it's all about doing the right kind of hard work and it's going to be repetitive and it's going to be painful and you're going to need to be resilient and at times you're going to want to back out and think I don't really want to change as much I don't, I don't want to not be doing what I'm doing as much as I definitely don't want to be doing the work to change. So it's about finding inside you something that's going to make a change. You've got to really be reflective of the options. In business, the options are quite stark. You know, you can be left behind in the marketplace. You can become obsolete in the marketplace. You can be redundant. You can be bought out. You can lose your staff. You can, um, you can just carry on doing what you're doing and it just becomes grey and you know, it's unfulfilling and there's no sense of purpose for anybody. Or if you want to make the change and you want to point yourself in a different direction, be prepared for what it takes to do that and don't expect it to be easy. I don't know if that's a cry for help for me. Um, it just dawned on me this morning that some of the things that we try to change in, in, in sales coaching are really, really difficult to change. Really difficult to change. Um, but the rewards, whenever you do it right... Yeah, they're pretty good. And for those businesses that are willing to accept that it's going to take a little bit of pain over the long term, they, they enjoy the success of that too. Again, I hope that helps. And if you need to get in touch, my email is paul at shift-control.co.uk. Feel free to, to subscribe. Share the content if you think it's, it's good enough. Don't listen to it if you think it's bad enough. That's okay. It's definitely not going to be for everybody. Um, but I appreciate you listening this long. And enjoy your day.